0: Good morning. Welcome to the Anthem Daily Podcast. Bert Alcorn here today is Tuesday, April 21st. Uh, If you are new or newish to the podcast, welcome. Thanks so much for taking a listen. This just really uh, sprung out of a desire to help our church uh, come out of this season of coronavirus thriving, not limping spiritually. So the Anthem Daily Podcast is a thought, scripture, interview with somebody, a practice, something to help us use this stay at home time well, not just to endure, but to come out and flourish and thrive in our deepening life with God. Now, this week, what I'm doing is uh, feels like one of the most meta things in the world is I'm uh, unpacking and digesting an Instagram story that I came across on a podcast. So that's the ridiculousness that we live in. That is 2020. So anyway, uh, but it was just a little bit of a backstory. If you missed the podcast yesterday, Uh, One of my heroes, Guy Admire, um, is a pastor, writer up in Portland, a guy named John Mark Comer. And he, a few weeks ago on Instagram Story, just kind of offhandedly put up five phrases that really stuck with me, that I I landed on, I kind of bumped up against, has sat with me, and and seemed like really important things for us. Uh, And once again, I'm talking to Anthem Church here in Ventura, but if anyone's listening outside, that's awesome. Love you. Thank you so much for listening. But just so you guys even know, when I I have content in mind, I'm thinking about the local community here that I'm a part of uh, and just bumped across these five phrases that I think are important for us to wrestle with. So uh, yesterday was love over fear was the first phrase. Uh, And then the rest of the phrases that we're unpacking this week, relationship over retreat, gratitude over grasping, presence over prediction, and pastors over pundits. Now today, our phrase that I want to unpack is relationship over retreat. If you've been hanging around Anthem for any length of time, I'm going to quote two passages of scripture that should be almost to the point of overkill for you at this point, for how frequently we go to them, because we think this is vital. It is a core part of who we are as a church community and have profoundly shaped how we do things, what we do, what we don't do. And so those two kind of key texts for this idea of relationship over retreat. Now, by the way, real quick, just an unpacking of some definitions here. When I say retreat, I'm not saying silence and solitude is bad. I'm not saying it's good to have moments where you are away and finding moments with just you and God sitting in silence, or even I'm not saying vacations, retreat, any of that stuff is bad. That's not what I mean by retreat. When I mean retreat, I mean like in the military sense to pull back, to actually like, um, to remove yourself from a situation to, um, to yeah, the, it's the opposite of advancing, to use like a military metaphors, to retreat back. So that's the kind of version of the word retreat that I'm thinking about here. So relationship over retreat. Okay, two texts. First is in Hebrews chapter 10, two verses there. And then the next one is kind of a block, a couple of paragraphs in 1 Corinthians. So first, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. And let us consider, think hardly deeply about how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us think about how when we are together, we can be producing action, positive gospel-centered action, not neglecting to meet together, right? So that's the opposite is Consider how to stir one another up, which means you are together and you're stirring each other towards action, not neglecting or forgetting about or blowing off the importance of meeting together, as is the habit of some. Some do this. It's a habit. It's not a good habit. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, the capital D day, meaning judgment day or when Jesus returns, drawing near, which means as life goes on, we need this more, not less. So all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, second text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Paul kind of does a few circular things here. See if you can notice them. He says in verse 12, "...for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ." For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Notice the theme of unity that's happening right there. We are all one together. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. That would be a silly looking body, right? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Okay, so what he's getting at here, two important things to take away, his example and his point. His example is that you cannot self-isolate or um, uh, self-discriminate. Because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, right? That's his example. So you cannot look at yourself and because, well, I'm not like Bert, I'm not like Sherry, I'm not like whomever, I'm going to pull away and not do my part. And Paul's point here is that God arranged the body, each one of them as he chose, which means it's not up to you. You call Anthem home that that you think it's your decision. It's God's decision. He arranged the body, right? So it's not up to you to pull away because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Okay, then he goes on to the next example, starting in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again to the head to the feet. So you already notice kind of the parallel kind of circular thing that's happening. First, he's saying, you can't pull yourself away. And now he's talking to the rest of the body and said, you can't exclude others. So self-exclusion versus others exclusion. Continuing on in verse 21, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor and our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. For one member suffers, all suffer together. For one member is honored, all rejoice together. So, as example, on the contrary to the previous paragraph, he said, "You can't pull yourself out. You can't self." Exclude Now he's saying to the rest of the body, you can't exclude other people because they're not like you or they don't fit into your mold or whatever. And his point is that those who seem weaker, those who don't seem to fit in as well are actually indispensable. They're indispensable. We need each other. Every single person, no matter how you're wired, what your personality is, what your gifts, talents, abilities are, we are all indispensable, which means when you pull away and then when we push you away, we miss something from you. When I pull myself away or when others push me away, you miss something from me. We are all indispensable, but God, he reminds us, has composed the body he's composed the body together. It's his will that there would be no division. So coming back to his theme of unity, he started in verse 12. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I'm just immediately thought the body metaphor just is the gift that keeps on giving. If you break your leg, your whole body suffers for it, right? If you mess up your, your shoulder, your whole body suffers for it. You don't just say, oh, well, legs, sorry, let's just chop you off. No, your whole body has to compensate and feel the pain and commiserate with, with your leg. Okay, what do we see from these two texts? I think we see a couple of things. First, we have to meet together. It is crucial. It is no accident That the primary way the church has functioned is meeting together for 2,000 some odd years. There's something that happens when we are together that does not happen when we are apart. And that is crucial. When we do come together, the second thing we see, we all have something to bring to the table. It's not just me, the teacher, preacher. It's not just the people who are good at music. We all have something to bring to the table. And third, we see that God sees us all as indispensable, so we should too. Whatever your opinion is of other people in your particular community, God sees them as indispensable, so you should too. The most needy person, the person who feels like it brings the group down, or the person who always seems to be taking and not giving, consuming, not participating, they are indispensable. We should see them as indispensable. Now, there's a couple of temptations to retreat, retreat, and I'll give maybe two temptations or two reasons why we retreat. The first is it's just easier. It's easier. Being by yourself is easier than being with other people. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an introverted person. I'm saying that because when you're by yourself, there's no one to challenge you. There's no one to call you out. There's no one to say, hey, you're making these decisions and they seem dumb, right? You got no one else around. It's easier. You just do whatever you want. The second temptation well, the second reason we do retreat is it feels right. And, and I think this is more poignant than ever in our time, in our place. It actually weirdly might feel right to pull away from other people because life is busy. And, and I just have to say like really bluntly, that is not a biblical position to take. Hey, life is crazy. I just got a promotion. Life is crazy. I just got laid off. Hey, life is crazy. My kids are doing this sport or that sport or in this X. Ex- so I got to, I got to take a step back. I got to pull back. Now there are seasons for everything. And there's grace for all sorts of things that can happen in life. But as a rule of thumb, retreating when life gets hard is a strictly anti-biblical position. What we see actually in the Bible is this counter-cultural call to press in when life seems to get hard. When life is hardest, that should be your cue. That's your that's your indicator that you actually need more community, more voices in your life, not less. When you get laid off, you actually need your community more than ever. When life is busier than ever because your kids are busier than ever, you actually need people more. When life gets busy, you need more. So the temptations to retreat are easier and it feels right but we know in the long run that does not produce health. It does not produce growth and it does not produce maturity. When I see people, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. When I see people who retreat when life gets hard and they don't press into relationship, I see immaturity. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about people who are in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. I don't care how long, how old you are, or how long you've been walking with Jesus. When life gets hard and you isolate and you retreat, I see immaturity all over that. On the contrary, once again, no matter your age or how long you've been walking with Jesus, when life gets hard and I see you actually press into community, I see maturity. I actually see the Holy Spirit in your life, producing growth and maturation. Relationship over retreat, especially in the time of the coronavirus, when we are physically isolated. And many of you are busier than you ever been. That, that is my current situation. I feel busier than I am ever been. And, and, and more now than ever, I need other people. I need to not kind of huddle in my corner and just hunker down. I actually need voices of encouragement and challenge in my life. So four reasons we need each other we need each other because first we need encouragement we need we need courage for the day ahead we need to be built up because i, I don't know I, I don't know what you're what you're like but my inner critic is very loud i'm an enneagram type 1 and my inner critic is one of the louder voices in my life The devil doesn't need to mess with my mind because I'm already messing with my mind. All right. Like, and I need encouragement and affirmation from other people. I need to be built up. I need courage for the day ahead. I need to have not my inner critic be the loudest voice in my head. And I need that from other people. Second, we need accountability. We need others because we need accountability. This is one of the largest testing seasons of purity, holiness, and integrity that I have ever lived through for myself and, and for other people. We need accountability. We need some people in our life who are going to ask us hard questions and we need to be able to give them honest answers and not fear judgment and not fear that we're going to be cut off from them because we're in community with them. We need encouragement. We need accountability. We need challenge. You need someone in your life who tells you you're stupid. I'm I'm dead serious. You need someone in your life who tells you when you're being an idiot, when you are dumb, when you are making dumb decisions. We're going to be in Daniel chapter four this coming Sunday, and and one of the themes in Daniel chapter four is is how pride um, masks reality, uh, and how we can puff ourselves up and have all kinds of distorted views about ourselves. But we know that pride comes before the fall, and that God loves the humble. We need people who will challenge us. We need people who will encourage us, keep us accountable, and challenge us. And finally, we need to feel that we're not alone in this. We need other people to just commiserate with us. The writer of Hebrews even says Jesus can do this with us because he's lived through every kind of temptation. He's our high priest, our example. We need others to do the same to remind us that we are not alone in this. So two questions to end today's podcast. First, where are you retreating where you should be relational? Where are you retreating where you know you need to be relational? What are you holding back? What are you running from? Where are you retreating where you should be relational? Second question, what can you do today to take a step forward? Don't try to solve all your problems one day. Right, maybe you've identified you're a your self-isolator. You're an individualist. You pull away when things get hard. What can you do today to take a step forward in choosing relationship over retreat? Thanks so much for listening hope this is helpful. Hope it is encouragement, a challenge stirring for you. Uh, We believe uh, that everything in life gives us the opportunity to choose a deepening life with God or to choose to pull back. And so I do hope you are choosing to press forward in this deepening life with God, even in the chaos, confusion, craziness of this season that we find ourselves in. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.